seekers, joy givers, anyone looking for an infusion of joy, you've come to the right place. My name is Deb McGregor. We've got another great program lined up for you. But first, let's give a great big thank you to our sponsors. When it comes to planning for your future, you want an advisor who understands your Christian values. Ameriprise Financial Advisors Gina Ripkema, Shelley Loff, and Donna Gunderson offer financial planning based on biblical principles. They can help you plan for your goals in a way that is consistent with your faith. Call Gina Ripkema, Shelley Loff, and Donna Gunderson today. Office is located downtown Bemidji at 122 3rd Street Northwest or at 1202 1st Street East in Park Rapids. Ameriprise Financial offers financial services without regard to religious affiliation or cultural background. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Arise Financial Group, a division of Ameriprise Financial Services, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Are you currently renting your home? Give Team Ailsworth, Noemi, Harry, and Abby of Real Living First Realty a call. Trust them to help guide you through the home buying process. With interest rates as low as they are, now is a good time to take that leap into being a homeowner. The award-winning customer service team is ready to make you their priority. Call Noemi at 218-760-4689 or click the link for Team Ailsworth on the Business Impact Partner page at yourqfm.com. Make owning a home your reality today. Thank you so much, sponsors, and thanks to all of you for choosing to tune in today. I am so thrilled to welcome our special guest today, Wendell Affield. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Deb. Thanks for inviting me. Well, it's good to have you back because many people may have remembered you, I think it was about a year ago, that, or maybe even two years ago. Two years ago. Time flies when we're having Friend fun. Jim Williams or when, and I were on for that's Memorial right. Day. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Boy, I can't believe that was two years ago. COVID happened in the middle there. It's just hard, I I, right? I mean, it's just, it's. I feel like as I'm talking to people, it's almost like... A black hole. Yeah, that is exactly what it feels like. It's it's sort of like, oh, wait a minute, that was two years ago. Yeah. It's like there's this little time in between. So when I reached out to you, one of the things that I said was, you know, it's PTSD Awareness Month. And I said, Wendell, we need to have you come back in because, first of all, you've got such a strong story yourself. And there's sort of the other side of what happens. And we're going to be talking also about um, the post-traumatic growth. But let's, for people that may not have met you before, let's at least give them a brief background about you, who you are, how you got to Bemidji, all these things. Oh, well, um, I grew up in Nebish, Minnesota on a little farm and at... 17, I retired from high school in the middle of the 11th grade and went into the Navy. Um, I was in the middle of my first tour of duty when our class graduated. Uh, In 1968, I went back on a river patrol boat, and about midway through my tour, I was wounded in an ambush and um, was medevaced home and was discharged after I got released from the hospital. I had my four years in anyway. And so you returned back to the the region? I returned while we moved back to Minnesota in 1980. And I I got a job as a meat manager at Lucan's Village Foods. I worked there till I retired in 2001. And I knew I had stories to tell, my Vietnam experience. And I I should backtrack here just a moment. In the early 90s, I I received a a notice from the VA, an appointment to come in for Agent Orange screening. And I went over to the Fargo VA, and and, um, the doctor asked me why I was already in the system. Because when I was discharged from Great Lakes Naval Hospital in 1968, 
they had sent me to the VA downtown Chicago. So I was in the system. And so I, I just told the doctor, a young guy, I says, well, I was in, in an ambush in Vietnam. And he says, well, what happened? And I repeated myself, and he says, no. He says, tell me what happened. So I started telling him about the day of the ambush, what happened, and I found myself getting all choked up about it. And he asked me if I'd ever been screened for post-traumatic, uh, post-traumatic stress. And I said, what's that? Because at that time, that was a newly recognized concept disorder. Um, so they scheduled me and, uh, for an appointment, and I went and talked to a psych, and yeah, was determined that I did, in fact, struggle with post-traumatic stress. And so jump forward to 2001, I retired from Lukens and started taking classes at BSU because I knew I wanted to tell a story. And I started out, today I call them memory stories, I started out writing about the most, uh, what was at, at the forefront of my memories of Vietnam. And, and so it surprised me. I wrote about pulling a decomposing body from the river. And many years later, as I started studied psychology, I came to learn that our olfactory sense, our sense of smell, is perhaps our most powerful trigger. And so anyway, over the years at BSU, I just went there part-time taking English classes, and I took some history and psychology and whatnot. But anyway, my memory stories accumulated, and people started saying, you need to put this, make this into a book. And a grad student, Michelle Thoft, you probably know Michelle, yeah. um, Michelle suggested organizing my stories and making them chronological. And so I did that, and that was an amazing breakthrough to create that longer narrative and to put the different things I experienced into context. And so eventually the book was published, and it, it just opened so many, so many doors that I never imagined. So first of all, I want to say yes, all of your books are amazing, actually, for those of you that have never checked out Wendell's books. And we were just talking about, we have to bring you back just to talk about the books, because there's so you have so many gifts that you're bringing to the world. So in this point, where you are taking these classes, you're starting to write, you're starting to process, it sounds like you realize, you know, I might be onto something here, this can actually be a part of a healing process for yourself. And I did not give that a thought. I didn't realize that until 2016 or 2017. I was invited to teach a writing workshop to veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder um, down in the metro area. And so I started putting together a program, and I discovered this book by John Pennebaker, Writing to Heal or Write to Heal. And I started, I ordered it, and as I read it, I realized this is exactly what I did. In all those years of writing, I had actually done exactly what he advocates in his book. Um, and and in the in the writing, the therapeutic writing, you write and you rewrite and you rewrite the same 
trauma and what it does. And it's referred to some mental health workers will refer to those trauma memories as splintered memories, okay? You don't have the full event. You will remember just little splinters of it. In writing that event, you literally put a frame on it once it's on paper. Um, and as I use what's called a memory tree in my workshops, and it's amazing as you start, you start out with the memory tree and you start writing the, you know, who, what, when, why, where, and then you get into the sensory memories, the smells and sounds and sights and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, and so you write your story. And as you write, and I advocate those first early drafts, do it longhand because it's amazing how your brain functions differently writing longhand versus on a computer. Um, But each time you do a revision and you look at that memory tree, more memories will come back. They'll come back. And so as I was telling Deb before uh, we started here, I'm going to be doing a couple of workshop series Um, The first session is going to be about writing the trauma. The second session is going to be focused on the larger narrative to expand and write stories around that trauma so you can bring it into context. I love that you're talking about the bring it into context because one of the things that I learned through the process that I had gone through for treatment was that uh, when I had not processed the traumas, I was actually seeing everything through a trauma lens. But Mm -hmm. as I started processing that and could access the hippocampus, I could start accessing the bigger memory, the bigger everything and the bigger world of what was going on, I could start to make more sense of everything. Mm -hmm. And so I love the process that you're talking about because once you've actually written about the trauma and the memories associated with it, then when you bring in that bigger context, it completely shifts probably how you look at the entire thing, right? yes. I would imagine. It really I have not done your it. process yet, but I mean, as you're saying it, mm-hmm. it, it's making a lot of sense. So these workshops that you're doing, my understanding is those are focused primarily for veterans, the particular next two that you're doing. That's correct. They're through the Vet Center out in Fargo. So if we've got someone listening who may be interested in those, do they just reach out to the VA in Fargo then? Is that how they would get registered? Yes. Okay. So if you're a veteran and you're out there, this is an opportunity that's available to you. Um, And so please contact the VA in Fargo. And we want to let everybody know, don't worry, we are thinking about other people because I'm trying Mm -hmm. to have a conversation with Wendell (laughs) about committing him to the fall to do a workshop for other people who may have experienced trauma that would be also available for people who are not veterans that have also experienced trauma. And we should mention that uh, although we're, we're obviously speaking right now in this moment about our veterans, PTSD doesn't just affect veterans. And one of the things that I learned in doing a lot of my own research and my own experience was things like sexual assault, child abuse, our first responders, they also can experience PTSD and can be diagnosed. So we're not, just so everybody knows, we're not forgetting about you too, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, in studying psychology and, and just reading a lot, so many women struggle with trauma from sexual abuse yeah. and other things. And quite often, they carry a, a huge load of guilt, like they feel they did something wrong. 
And, you know, when you dig in and through writing and you start making sense of your trauma, you come to the realization, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not yeah. the guilty one here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it is a process. You yes, and I both is. know that yeah. it's such a process. So one of the things that when you came in today, you put out this terminology, post-traumatic growth. Yes. And you said, Deb, how often have you heard that term? And I said, not really. <laughs> and you said, this is something nobody talks about. Everybody focuses on, here's what PTSD is. Here's how it shows yes. up. Here's what it looks like. Yes. And then you said, but there's a rest of the story. So let's talk to people about this post-traumatic growth. Wow. Where, <laughs> this is like the where million. Begin? Yeah, where where do we even yeah. start with this? Which and and what I love about this is you actually had even sent me an email this morning with some some great ideas about it. But what a lot of people don't realize is that there is a point in the PTSD journey where if you're doing the work, you're doing the writing, you're doing the therapy, whatever methodology you're using, all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, I'm getting better. Yeah, and I and I think. Post-traumatic growth comes with many masks, one being an increase in spirituality, okay? Another one might be in just helping others, finding a greater purpose than yourself, um, just your relationships with others grow. Uh, I, I guess a few examples that come to my mind real quick is one that's not a veteran, um, <clears throat> there's several several guys in our church that take turns a couple times a week going over and doing range of motion exercises on his friend that's in a wheelchair after an accident. And this this man could be just depressed and down in his, you know, but he's he has a strong spiritual side and it's just fun to go and work with him for an hour and and visit he's always up and upbeat and positive and and he's a real inspiration to everybody that goes near him yeah uh, i i love i love that and there's something in here i think you and i were talking before we went live about uh one of the things i was sharing with you is i had run into uh one of the therapists that i had worked with and this therapist was like, oh, my gosh, I just can't believe how much you have grown. Like, you have confidence. You're out yeah. there talking to people. You're, He's like, when I met, I mean, he has said, when I met you, I actually have, from his notes, mm -hmm. this is one of the worst cases of complex PTSD I've ever seen. <laughs> he showed it to me. And I thought, oh, boy. And that's not the award one necessarily wants to get in a <laughs> lifetime, right? Um, but... I understood what he meant by that because with the complex PTSD, it is a little more, it is more complex to treat in the first place. But when he said that, I, one of the first things I said to him is, you know, what I realized is that I had more strength mm -hmm. in me that I ever realized was possible. One was the strength of actually surviving my situation. But the second thing was getting through the therapeutic process. Mm -hmm. It does take a lot of strength. And when we start to see that as we have the post-traumatic growth, we realize, my gosh, we are strong people. Wendell, you're a strong person, too. Oh, well, thank you, Deb. You know, a couple of other examples that I would mention. Uh, several years ago, my wife Patty and I were at a church rummage sale up in Turtle River, and I found this book by a Vietnam veteran, and it was, uh, what was the title of it? Um, Left for Dead, I believe. 
And it was an amazing story. John Hovde was the author. Some of your listeners know John Hovde. Yeah. He's from Fertile. Yeah. And so a couple of years later, I had the uh, honor of meeting John. We were both invited to participate in a documentary down Twin Cities TV, PBS. And, and we just kind of connected. Well, a few years later, I learned that he was in hospice. And I stopped and I went out to Fertile to say goodbye to him. And, and we were visiting and he asked me what I had been up to lately. And it's always hard to visit with someone when they're at the end of the trail. But I told him, I says, you know, John, I just the other night spoke to a group of hospice volunteers at their annual dinner. And he says, well, what did you talk about? And I says, you know, I talked about end-of-life regrets that veterans have. And one of the greatest is that they never shared their military experience. And John looked at me for a bit, and he says, I have no regrets. And I thought to myself, well... We were just reminded that we should not have any regrets in life, right? <laughs> we should have no regrets. If we could in get a reminder, I think off. the church bells are it. <laughs> but um, anyway, I thought, what a powerful response. And John was gone a few days later. And another another Vietnam veteran I was mentioning to Deb was um, a friend that he's actually a member of our writers group, our veterans writers group. Um, he was a prisoner of war in Vietnam for four years, chained down in a hole or chained to a tree. And when he was released, he he struggled naturally, but he ended up working a career, and, and he's retired to the Bemidji area. And he's to meet him and visit with him, you would never know the trauma he went through. He's just a really outgoing, positive person. Yeah. You and I were talking about how People who've experienced trauma, they can all look very different. And what an individual experienced within that trauma, it's important to acknowledge that trauma for that person and understanding that one, what affects one person very strongly may not affect another person as much. And the other piece is, uh, what did we call it? We don't need to outdo someone else's trauma. And how do we honor that in people? What are some of the ways that we can honor? uh, You understand what I'm asking for? It's Mm -hmm. like there's something about being with someone. Um, I I remember a couple of times, I think I shared with you, like if I was talking to someone or I was speaking, I would have people come up and say, well, you know, this happened to me too, but it wasn't near as bad as yours. And I'm like, what happened to you? is just as important to acknowledge. And there isn't a, oh, it was this magnitude. But the other thing that I felt very difficult at first is um, I remember sharing with a couple, I didn't talk about being sexually assaulted for a very, very long time. And one day I just felt like I was supposed to to help others. It really wasn't about me. It was about helping other people. And um, a couple people I told were like, oh, yeah, that happened to me too, blah, blah, blah. I just got over it. And it was in that moment, I, I almost felt like, okay, I wasn't really sure what to write. But mm-hmm. I think this is something that we may be being aware of, when, right? <laughs> yes, very much so, being aware of and and being a good listener. Just don't, you know, just being a good listener. So often people just need someone to listen to their trauma, to their story. Um, and, and with the trauma, the individual's trauma, you know, we're each 
we're each the center of our own universe. And when you experience a trauma, that's the, that affects the center of your personal universe. And so it is most important to you. And so you shouldn't ever try to downplay or, you know, outdo another person. Yeah. yeah. And it's an honor and a privilege when someone opens up to yes. another person and mm-hmm. shares. It is to witness that for someone. That's a sacred space, mm-hmm. a very sacred space. And yeah. I'm sure you've had people open up to you for the first time. And it is really, it's very humbling also. It is. And, and, you know, one of the things I learned many years ago is, in fact, it's when I worked at Lucan's. When I was a little kid on a farm in Nebish, we were back in the early 50s, we built this new dairy barn. And these old World War II vets would come over and help us. And in the afternoon, they'd take a break and sit in the shade. And this is just, figure, a few years past the war. And... I remember as a little kid sitting, listening to their stories of military life, and you see these jokes, military, you know, humor in uniform, and they would always laugh and joke about the lighter side. Well, 50 years later or more, when I was at Lucan's, some of these guys were old men by then, and they, about three of them over the years, came in, and they knew me from childhood, and they started sharing their trauma story with me about being prisoner, being captured, or losing a friend, or getting wounded, or whatnot, because they knew that I had been in Vietnam. And they would get choked up and, and just walk away shaking their head, just kind of like I did at the, at the VA hospital. And many years later, I've come to realize two things. It was probably the first time they had ever attempted to share that trauma because World War II veterans were tough, macho heroes. Mm -hmm. Um, It was probably the first time they ever went to share that trauma with someone, and odds are it was the anniversary date of that trauma. And they walked away, choked up, shaking their heads, and they took their story to the grave with them. And so, as I, as I mentioned, it's important for veterans to tell their stories yeah. and it, just so their families can understand them better. Yes. That leads into, I want to talk about relationships with others. Let's talk about the impact. Someone who's experienced trauma, where is that struggle in relationship with others? And how, what does it look like on the post-trauma growth? And what does it look like before? This is a big one. This could be a a whole show. That's a really (laughs) open-ended question. (laughs) I'm looking for a lot of insight. Yeah, you know, some some people, um, if you're just by nature an extrovert, um, you have, I think, less problems because it's easier to make friendships and just be out there with organizations and whatnot. But for so many others, it's it's not that easy, and, and so they still struggle with relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to actually, this is kind of an interesting one, because this for me was something I struggled with tremendously, and I would isolate all the time, and I am clearly an extrovert. But what I would find is that I was so afraid of getting activated, I was so afraid of having an episode mm-hmm. that I would isolate. I was afraid to be 
I was actually afraid to be. And the other thing is I didn't want anybody to get close to me. Mm -hmm. So I was always trying to be in control of the relationship. I was always right. And so that's one thing that I noticed for me. Mm -hmm. Post-traumatic growth looks like I don't have to be that way anymore. I don't have to. It's I don't need to isolate. I don't, you know, I I still every once in a while it's like, eh, you know, I have those moments. But that's for me what I've noticed. Mm -hmm. So do you think in the post-traumatic growth for most people that, uh, the relationships just start. I'm not, I don't know if easier is the right way, but it comes more natural, maybe. Uh, you know, for some people, probably. I think for a lot of veterans, um, and not just Vietnam, but any conflict mm-hmm. anymore, if you've lost friends in a combat zone, um, you learn not to allow yourself to get close to other people. Yeah. And I believe there's probably a spillover into civilian life with that. Yeah. You're hesitant. Yeah. yeah. Well, because somebody could get hurt. Yeah. Somebody could, it, what if they're not there anymore? Um, I mean, that could probably get into a lot of other things as well. In the post-traumatic growth piece, maybe what part of that is, is being able to openly have conversations with our loved ones to at least explain a little more of what's going on. Mm -hmm. I know that's one thing I found in the post-traumatic growth is at least being able to say to someone, this may be what's going on, or this may be why this response is what you witness. I know for me, for my friends who are veterans, I am very aware of this. Mm -hmm. And I'm very aware that there may be times where I just notice that pullback or that pushback from, you know, I just need to be aware of the space here. Yeah, and it's quite often, I I believe that to share that experience, it's safer to do it through writing Mm -hmm. than through talking. Yeah, Yeah. which is another reason why the work that you're doing with the writing program is so important because Mm -hmm. it gives people, it's another outlet, right? Yes. Um, For some people writing, for some people music, but the work that you're doing with this writing is just, it's so profound. I mean, I just think it's absolutely amazing. I want to hit on appreciation of life. I One of the things that really struck me when I read that was, I think for a lot of people who've gone through trauma, there's a very clear sense of death in life, like I think for a lot of people. <coughs> and so I'm really curious about um, in that post-traumatic growth phase, what what is that shift that happens for appreciation of life? I think, well, I think probably... My greatest appreciation of life is just to be out in nature, just to be out in nature. And it's kind of interesting that I say that when I, because I I have, in the research I do on my books, I have dozens of my grandfather's letters. He was in the First World War and the Second World War, and he wrote my grandmother a letter from a training camp in Texas early in World War II. And it was a Sunday morning, and he says, I'm out for a walk in the prairie. And he says, this is my church. Mm. You know, he felt closest to the Lord out on the prairie, mm. out in nature. Mm. It's it's interesting. I just immediately, when you said that, I was right to revelation. God gave us the plants and trees for our healing. Yeah. And I believe that uh, God gives us those gifts and yes. another way to experience him yeah. when we are out with him. And I love that. So... I just, my gosh, there's so much more we could talk about, right? Let's there remind is. people, you've got writing workshops July and August specifically for veterans. They can call the Fargo VA to get registered. 
That's correct. Probably you'd want to ask for, I'm not sure, um, the mental health The mental health area is probably where they'll connect you with that. I'm not sure exactly. Wendell, you are so amazing. I just feel so blessed every time you come in here. And I just want to say I'm grateful for you. And I'm really appreciating um, that you are sharing your gifts and skills and talents with others. So thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you, Deb. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And we want to thank all of you for choosing to tune in today. Please remember to go out, live joy, share joy. The world needs your voice. Please keep shining your bright light. Have a great day, everyone. Michael. Live joy, share joy, shine your light to the world. This is Deb McGregor of Life Full of Joy. Thank you for tuning in to Live Joy, Share Joy. We currently have availability for corporate sponsors on the show. Do you want to be aligned with all things joy and reach our listening audience? We have several options available, including our joy boosters. Contact your QFM today for sponsorship details.